Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this patch video for the web novel Out of Space taken from the website Royal Road. And as always I hope you enjoy the narration and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 313 Sorting Out the Pieces Orwell's Point Marine Stronghold Titania Rothschild paced anxiously in her comfortable decorated cell. She was heard from her servants, guards, and even that magical entertaining box playing music, the current topics of the city that the Imperial Army had been defeated, with over half of its strength destroyed, and the rest ring surrendered or running. She did not believe that this group of barbarians had the power to wipe out her family's military might in barely a week. It was such an impossible feat that she dismissed the rumors and the news as the Imperial Army was defeated as propaganda. But a small voice in her head kept telling her, that these barbarians might just have the ability to do so, and that thought kept nagging at her every day. So she tried to discuss her worries with her brother during the times that they were released for their mealtime together, but he dismissed her worries as a womanly nonsense, for how could a barbaric force win against the highly trained and disciplined Imperial Army? Now she glanced at the barred windows and constant thunders coming from the battlefield that quietened down since yesterday. She did not know if the barbarians had won or if her father had won. She sat restlessly next to the radio box and waited impatiently for the gentle tones of the music to end. Normally, she could sit there and just re-immerse herself in the strange but enjoyable music. But this time, she wished it were to stop for the daily news to start and broadcast. Finally, after a long, agonizing wait, the familiar tones heralded the start of a news broadcast and played from the music box, and Titania eagerly leaned closer to hear the voice speaking. The female voice spoke of her usual minor happenings of the city, and even more advertising of some pub before the voice spoke about the battle that had occurred between the two armies. We now bring you the latest information from the front lines, the voice said. As of today, hostilities have ended as the UN Marines have claimed victory over the Imperials, a decisive battle between the Marines and the Imperials occurred yesterday afternoon, and source of the Marines stated that they had destroyed at least half of the Imperial Army and taken as much as 9,000 Imperial soldiers as prisoners of war. The voice continued on excitedly. Casualties amongst the Marines remained low despite the Imperial Armies overwhelming them by at least 20 times. The calls for a great celebration for the United Nations and the city of Orwell's Point is no longer under threat for the Imperial Army. The female voice spoke up with a great favor and passion. The war is over. Now, onto other news. The Rhiney Mill is looking for fit worker. Titania turned back to the chair as she laid stunned at the news that reported her father's army had been lost to war. Impossible! This can't be true! She stood there and quickly banged against the locked cell urgently. I need to speak with Lord Joseph. Please, let me speak to him. UN Forward Trench Alpha 2 Mills gave a look of irritation at the order he received from the radio men. HQ wants me to what? He and his men had been manning the trenches since the battle of the day before due to the shortage of manpower, and they were tired, dead tired. Mills was covered in dirt and dried blood as he wasn't had the opportunity to change into a new set of uniform as he stayed in the front lines ensuring the remnants of the Imperial Army had truly run away. Um... They want you to watch over the prisoner and ensure she does not run away as she is kept safe, Sarge. The radio men repeated the order from HQ. What the hell? Moles glared at the radio men. Is HQ nuts? The radio man gave him a shrug. Orders. 
Damn well, no, it's an order, Mills cursed silently. Where is she now? HQ wants you to pick her up at the rear. Radio man grinned and gave her a wink to Mills. Have a nice date. God damn it. Titania stood uneasily as two guards watching over her. She managed to get a request to Lord Joseph, but only after a day did she receive a reply. Now she took a boat ride, followed, winged the fast-moving magic open-topped wagons before her escort stood with her, waiting for someone to bring her to the battlefield. She ignored the curious stares from the mud-covered soldiers and worked around her, and her eyes widened as she recognized Muddy Soldier appearing before her. Mills? Yep, that's me. The dirt and blood-stained soldier broke out into a front. What the hell are you thinking you're doing here? I'm here to find my father, Titania quickly explained. Lord Joseph gave me permission. Are you all right? I'm <sighs> fine. It's not my blood. Mills gave a grumpy grunt before he waved the two marine escorts away. I'll take it over from here. Come along now, Mills growled at the girl. Stay close and don't run away. I got orders to shoot you if you try to run away or do anything funny. I... I understand. Titania felt a strange sense of ease after seeing the strange barbarian who was always rude and teasing her. Still alive... Titania quickly followed Mills as he led towards the POW zone, where hundreds of disarmed Imperial soldiers could be seen setting up tents and cooking fires or doing some odd jobs here and there. Have you asked if he's been taken prisoner? Titania shook her head. They told me my father wasn't amongst the names of nobles and commanders that had surrendered. Damn, Mills gave out a sigh. Come on, let's see if he's hiding with the common soldiers. As they approached the gate camp, they could see the ring of razor wire surrounding the camp, while machine gun nests overwatched the prisoners. Teams of prisoners headed off under overseeing marines to battlefields for grisly collection of the remains to working the burial details for the collected dead. Well, if your father is still alive, he should be somewhere in there. Mills gestured to the guards at the gate who allowed him in. Titania stopped the first person she met and started asking if they'd seen her father but the soldier shook his head. Undaunted, she continued asking another person till a couple hours later. She walked back towards the gate where Mills waited patiently for her. Did you find him? Mills asked softly. Titania shook her head as she walked out. Mills sighed and gestured towards another group of tents and the bright red crosses on the sides. Let's see if he's amongst the wounded then. Then they went and asked around in the medical tents, but no one seemed to know or much the description given by Titania. Could he have retreated safely? Maybe. Moles gave a shrug. It's pretty messy out there. It's hard to tell. I see. Titania gave a deep sigh as she kneeled down, hugging her knees depressingly. Hey, cheer up. Moles squatted down next to Titania. I'm sure you'll find him safe and sound. Thank you. She suddenly paused in her words as she stared at a pile of discarded armor and items of clothing piled haphazardly in some small mound. She stood up and half ran over to the pile and started to toss aside the broken and blood-stained armor pieces before she held one particularly battered and blood-cake plate up. This, this! Titania's eyes wandered as she stared at the carvings and ornate designs of the badly damaged armor. This is his own personal armor! Ah, crap! Mills whispered softly at the side and watched Titania started to cry while hugging the armor against herself. God damn it! Great Ocean Plains, Dead Frontier the strange machine rumbled and the leather belt hooked around the wheel of the beasts roared rapidly. The spike ears linked together until the leather belt started to turn and the circular saw spun a bit into a piece of log and the roar with the splitting sawdust out at the end. 
The watching carpenters and loggers responded in appreciation by clapping and cheering at the effortless use of the magical device to cut through the log. Liang smirked at the happy and surprised expressions of the natives. He had rigged up half-track wheels to make a sawmill with a few simple adjustments. Since the engine was powered by electricity and he had several square meters of solar film, he could efficiently run the sawmill as long as there was sunlight. Wowing the primitives was so simple. By saying that he was a sage and showing them how to do things by making advanced tools, their hostility and suspicions immediately turned into worship. Liang thought to himself as he watched the natives poke around the sawmill. Many thanks for sharing your knowledge, sage Liang. The beefy chief they called Boss politely gave a bowed head. We much appreciate your generous help here. Liang gave an expression of indifference as he waved the words by Boss. This is a small matter. What is important is that we are strong foundation, and the people will be strong. Boss nodded at the wise words spoken, and the round-eared guest that joined the growing town brought back by Taurus from his fruitless trip to the city in the plains. The trip to purchase supplies did not turn out as expected, but they managed to recruit someone that held great knowledge and held strange artifacts. Yes, without a strong foundation, we can't survive nor grow strong enough to protect ourselves, Boss replied. Now that is why, now, you need to look at improving your agriculture, Liang said. The land here is barren. You need irrigation. Not only that, you need to introduce basic sanitation, Liang added. This will cut down on the disease, and not only that, the night soil that is collected can be used for many things. Hmm. Boss nodded again at the advice given by the sage. The soldiers know how to do that, but, uh, the refugees that joined us. Then you need to be firm. Liang stated while he stroked his chin as he said some Chinese idioms as bullcrap. As they say, kill one to warn a hundred. It is better for one to die now than regret later when they are outbreak of diseases. Boss's eyes widened as he heard the phrase, kill one to warn a hundred. I understand, Sage Long, Boss respected of that strange person grew. I'll have my men implement measures to make sure that the refugees follow proper sanitation methods. Good, good. Liang gave a small smile to himself. Now, once you settle these issues, you should look into organizing the refugees to work. If not, they're just eating away at your resources while lazing around. Boss agreed with Long greatly, and he listened to his advice. He had wanted the refugees seeking a haven to work, but the refugees instead camped outside of his town and constantly begged and demanded for food and water. He had given in due to the fact that he knew the people had lost their homes and did not want to be strict with them. He shared that what he could with the refugees, but they only grew bolder and demanded more from him. You can't be soft with them. When Liang first came, he saw the situation and immediately understood the problem that they were facing. You give an inch, they take a mile. Your words have awoken me, Boss gravely said. I understand what I should do for all the greater good. Yes, do what you must. Leong smiled and retreating back of Boss. Build a firm foundation for me here. End of chapter. Chapter 314. Lend a hand? Haven, UNS Singapore Conference Room. Moal Rothschild has been confirmed to be killed in action during the battle and the trenches. Fleet Intelligence Officer Tabor reported to the staff meeting. We managed to have his next of kin identify his remains before they cremated him. We had yet located a high-value target, which is the commander of the Black Scorpion Legion, Tabar said next. 
I have several analytic teams going over the UAV footage of the battlefield to try and attempt to find out his whereabouts. The second battalion suffered 9% loss and another 40% wounded, Frank said as he gave his next report. Also, they have expended 70% of their remaining reserves of munitions in a single battle. We need to resupply Orwell's Point ASAP, Frank said. If not, they will be down to sticks and stones and they face another large-scale engagement. We need more logistical support for Orwell's Point, Major Frank said. Just two mariners running resupply by air is not enough for the military needs. That is true, Commander Tommy interjected. At this constant use of the mariners, we will run them down before long. We laid out new hulls for the mariners and the plants, but it'll still be a month before they are completed. Commander Tommy gave in his estimate. After that, we need at least a week of flight endurance tests before they can be declared operational ready. How about the ground routes? Blake asked. When will the highway be done? The superhighway across the uncharted forest is 60-70% to 70% complete, the chief engineer Matt said. The construction teams are already at three working ships and tried to complete the highway linking Orwell's Point, but we will still require at least another month before it is fully completed. And we have just laid the beginnings of a railway system on our side, Matt continued. It will take another two to three months before we complete it, provided there are no obstructions during the construction. Blake frowned before he said, Are these not our solutions to our current problems? And we had a whole exodus of refugees from the city that we bombed on our way to Orwell's Point. Blake looked at everyone around the table. We need to create a stable supply line to Orwell's Point. Blake tapped in a keypad before him to display screens up in the conference room lit up. The surveying teams under Dr. Sharon just recently shared these findings with me. The screen displayed showed a topographic map of Orwell's Point, some splashes of color in red, yellow, and orange. The local surveying teams have discovered large areas of granite rock and have large deposits of quartz, Blake explained. The local artisans mine the quartz and make it into goblets and other trinkets, but their surveying team had a couple of interesting finds. First of all, we found high concentrations of lithium amongst the granite samples, Blake said. Lithium! Matt jumped up happily. Finally! What is lithium for? Shireen asked curiously. Oh, it's a very useful resource, Matt grinned wildly. We can use it to mix with oil to create high-temperature lubricants, which will help out with our industrialization and running of engines. Not only that, better performance alloys for aircraft can be made too, Matt explained to the princess and anyone that was unaware of the uses of lithium. But the most important of all, we can make better batteries. Chill down, people, Blake waved for everyone to calm down in the room. Now we also have gotten traces of wolframite amongst the quartz samples they recovered. Wolframite? Matt was totally overjoyed at the news. Yes! Huh? The expression on Shireen's face was almost made Blake want to squeeze her cheeks. Tungsten! Matt's eyes were glowing. Worth it, we can make high-speed cutting tools to super-heavy alloys. And not only that, but our armor-piercing ammunition can also be upgraded. Our current armor-piercing ammunition is just made out of full metal-jacketed steel alloy, Matt said. Their performance-wise is just barely acceptable with the current armor capabilities of our enemies. But with ammunition made of tungsten cores, our firearms' abilities to penetrate tougher armor of creatures or monsters will enable the troops to fight a greater efficiency. Matt explained, This means riflemen with tungsten-upgraded AP rounds would be able to defeat heavily armored monsters without the need for RPGs or heavier weaponry. Yes, Blake nodded. This is why we need to ensure we hold Orwell's Point and need for a secured road linking our main production facilities here. With the Rothschild forces destroyed and shattered, 
there would be a very high chance of infighting amongst them over who takes the leadership of that region, Rake said, and with the eldest daughter and the youngest son in our hands, I'm sure we could work out some sort of deal with them that will benefit us in the long run. Hell, if we support the eldest daughter onto the seat of the regional lord, we might even get our own puppet, Master Sergeant Pike exclaimed. Even time, we might even annex the whole damn region to our side. If I may add a word on that, sirs, Tavar suddenly spoke out, I think we need to reevaluate the potential of the Rothschild children in our hands. They can either become something that'll greatly help our cause or mire us down into constant war with the Empire, Tavis said. We must be very careful of how we treat them from now on and who to support should we want to put a puppet government into controlling seat of the region. I understand, Blake said. Find out everything you can about the Rothschild's opponents and who else has claims in the region. Yes, sir, Tavon nodded. Okay, back to the topic. Blake turned his detention back to everyone. How are we going to solve this logistical problems here? Sir, we could start the trials of the medium lift helicopter prototype, Air Force Commander Tommy suggested, but it does not have the range to go all the way to Orwell's point. It'll need three resupply trips at least. The helicopter is ready. Matt asked, surprised. I thought you would need at least a month or two before it can run. We've already successfully tested a couple smaller models, Tommy said. This particular model uses tandem rotor system, enabling it to carry heavier loads. We had some issues at the start with the transmission of the two rotors, but it's all been fixed now, Tommy said. As of now, we have three prototypes of the helicopter at the base, but they don't have any hull platings covering their bodies. As we wanted to do test runs, hence we did not fully fit out the helicopters with anything like hull plating, Tommy explained. But with that, we can easily cover up the whole body of the helicopters within two to three days. What's the performance like? Blake asked. Top speed is clocked in at 238 kilometers per hour, while cruising speed is at 225 kilometers an hour. Tommy started to upload some files onto the display screen for everyone to see. Range is roughly 1,020 kilometers, while it can carry a load of up to three tons or an entire platoon of marines and their gear. That's pretty impressive, Matt replied as he looked at the specs of the halo. If it works, we could help to ease the burden of the mariners. Just that we need to clear the forest for refuel bases and also store fuel and helos, Matt pondered. That would stress our limits amongst the logistics that we have. We should be able to wing it somehow, Blake smiled. We should be able to wing it somehow, Blake smiled. Have the daily truck supplying the workers on site carry extra fuel for the future helo operations. Yes, sir, Matt nodded. I will have the workers start building fuel dumps and helipads in advance. Okay, let's start for the day, Blake said. Keep up the good work, everyone. Dismissed. North front, rear mess tentage. Hey, Mills, Blue Thunder greeted the marine in a Baviak area, cheerfully. How's my man? Hey, he muttered in a simple reply as he kept walking. Are you all right? Blue Thunder snaked his serpentine head around and stopped Mills in his tracks. You not well? Um... Blue, Earl seemed to notice the dragon for the first time. What is it? Are you okay? Blue Thunder asked in a concerned tone. You don't look so good. Oh, I'm fine. Just thinking of some things. Mills replied and brushed off Blue Thunder's concerns. Hmm. Blue Thunder wasn't a dragon that was easily brushed off. He used his head to corral Mills. Tell me what's wrong. Maybe I can help. I, um, all right. Mills gave up on Blue Thunder's constantly insistent. It's like this. 
Merle's well blew thunder in on the situation with the Rothschild princess and how she was so depressed that she'd barely ate anything since she found out that her father passed away. Ruth under bobbed his head and sighed. Oh well, war is like that. Friends and families die. But wait a minute, Blue Thunder scratched his head on Blanc Craw. She's the enemy. Why are you showing concern to the enemy? See, that's the one part of my problem, Mill sighed. Despite that we're on different sides, it's hard to... Hate her, you know? You mean because she's pretty and totally your type? Blue Thunder gave a sly grin. And you want to console her. Yeah, n- I mean, no, that's not the way. Mills quickly corrected himself and rolled his eyes. I mean, you take away that armor and sword, she's just a girl. Mm-hmm. Blue Thunder gave a side eye look at Mills. You sure? Yes. Mills' face turned slightly red as he blushed. We are kind of, um, like friends, you know. Hmm. This is tough. Blue Thunder gave a frown before his expression changed to one of delight. But I know just the thing. Blue Thunder thumped his chest proudly and said, Don't worry, leave it to me. I'll lend you a hand in getting the princess. What? Wait, what? Mills looked at the smug expression on Blue Thunder's face. Where? What are you going to do? Wait here. Blue Thunder waddled off to the open space before he took into the skies. After a short moment, Blue Thunder returned with his claws clutching a pile of foliage. Here. What is this for? Mills asked as he dusted off the clumps of leaves of his uniform. What the hell? Flowers, Blue Thunder gave a triumphant smile. I watched all the dramas and girls like this stuff. You want me to give her flowers? Moles blinked his eyes rapidly in surprise. Are you nuts? Mal, give her flowers, have a dinner and make her happy in bed. Blue Thunder ticked off the claws. It works all the time. I've seen it in the shows. Oh my gods. Moles rubbed his eyes tightly. Blue, stop watching all those dramas. I really need to talk to your handler about your choice of shows. Well, just try, Blue Thunder urged Mills. I gave Raz some of her favorite food and she's no longer ignores me now. Dragon logic, Mills sighed. I can't win. All right, all right, Mills sighed again as Blue Thunder pushed him as he snout with a pile of ripped up bushes covering wild blossoms. Mills picked a few nicer looking blossoms and used a piece of vine to tie them into a bouquet. Good luck. Blue Thunder thumped his tail excitedly against the ground while Mills rolled his eyes again and headed towards the tent where Titania was in. He glared at the two marines guarding the tent who automatically retreated away while he entered the tent clutching a bouquet of flowers nervously. <clears throat> Titania, hey, how are you sleeping? He asked a figure laying on the safari bed. Don't be sad, Mills cleared his throat anxiously. Here, something for you. He placed a bouquet of flowers beside Titania before he left her alone and said, If you need someone to talk to, you can always find me. Or if you need a shoulder to cry on, I'm available too. End of chapter 315 TikTok Orwell's Point Marine Stronghold CO's Office Joseph disconnected from the video conference that he had just ended with Captain Blake and gave a deep breath as he relaxed his body. He started to tidy up his desk and his mind reviewed the meeting he had with Blake. 6,403 Imperial soldiers had surrendered or captured. Another 2,721 Imperial soldiers with varying degrees of wounds, from gunshots, shrapnel to burns. Intel estimated another 5 to 6,000 Imperials had fled the battle, leaving behind an estimated 5,000 dead. And there was also the matter of the slaves brought along by the Imperials as heavy labor. 
Another 5,000 slaves recovered, all in poor health conditions that required medical attention and care, which was badly strained, had already thinly stretched over to medical personnel. Captain Blake had promised to send as much aid as possible, but it would still take a few days for the aid to reach his side. The captain had said that they had come up with some new ways to hasten the logistical problems between the two cities. Thankfully, they had taken quite a bit of spoils from the Imperials, which was more than enough to sustain the prisoners and slaves captured. The carpet barrage had brought the Imperials in their pants down, totally demoralized and wiping out any concentrated troops in the open. And with the sudden blitz attack directly into their camp, they effectively cut off the retreating Imperials and without any supplies, while facing monsters that spew frames and deadly spells, most of the Imperials surrendered meekly. As for the materials captured and recovered from the battlefield and the Imperial camp, the logistical apartments and quartermasters were still sorting out everything, but they estimated roughly 80 tons of food and another 30 tons in armor and weapons. He has placed the prisoners to clear the battlefield of the dead and other menial tasks and keep them out of mischief. Looking at the numbers on the sheets of paper, he sighed heavily and spoke to himself. How the hell am I going to feed all these people? He was pondering this option, and someone knocked on the door. Come in. The door swung open, and a marine guard ushered in Tachanya, the Titus Rothschild. Sit. The two siblings took a seat before the desk, and Joseph took time to observe them both. Tatania's eyes looked puffy and red, while Titus had a look of indifference and boredom. Now, I have invited you both here to discuss what is next for the betterment of both of our countries and people, Joseph said. Tch! Titus gave an irritated click of his tongue. What is there to discuss? You better release us and surrender. Joseph gave a small sigh and leaned back in his chair. You know your army has been defeated, yes? <laughs> Titus gave a dismissive wave. Just keep believing your own lies. Joseph shook his head, and he could not understand how detached from reality the young man was. He turned his attention to the silent Titania. I'm sorry for the death of your father. You have my deepest condolences. Titania gave a small nod of acknowledgement while Titus rolled his eyes. Seriously, you believe their lies, the tale of how they defeated our army that easily. Woman will always be woman. Titania glared at Titus and put her puffy eyes and hissed angry. I've seen father's body and the battlefield. Have you seen the bodies, the dead, the prisoners? It's just one battle, Titus retorted back sharply. It doesn't mean the war is over. Titania gave a frustrated sign, looked at Titus from afar, too tired to argue with him. Titus gave a victorious smirk before he turned to the bemused Joseph and demanded again, Release me now! You can have this war if you want. Joseph leaned forward and said in a very serious tone, Boy, I think you are the one that has misguided. As I've said, you have listened to other Imperial prisoners. The war is not over. We won. Simple as that. Joseph add, There is no other war or another attack coming for a very long time, or at least until after winter. You can keep up the act like you're superior to us or whatever that keeps you happy but the fact still remains that you are still here, breathing is due to a mercy of me. Joseph stated plainly, If you wish to deny yourself that you will be rescued or someone will come and rescue you, please, by all means, go ahead and keep believing that. Joseph gave a smile, but in the meantime, you're still in my hands. You, you dare lay your hands on me? Titus sneered. When I get out of here, I will make you my slave. I will tear your tongue out and put your eyes out. I... 
Titania suddenly stood up and gave a hard kick at Tidus, sending him sprawling off the chair. Enough of your nonsense. I know that father and mother have pampered you, but not to this extent. Titania shouted at the shocked Titus. Do you even know what the situation you're in now? Titania asked. He can just kill you as easily as snapping his fingers, and no one, I repeat, no one, do a single thing about it or help you. Titus slowly stood up and glared at Titania. You dare, you are just a bastard child. Joseph's eyes rose up as he heard what Titus said and whispered softly to himself. Interesting. So what? Titania's face turned red. At least I have more brains than you. Wahar! Titus took a step forward with his hand raised. Enough! Joseph smacked his table hard, just as the door of his office opened and a marine guards heard the commotion inside came in to check. Take him away, Joseph gestured to the angry Titus. Throw him in a cell and let him cool off. Yes, sir. The marine guards quickly grabbed the struggling and cursing Titus, and even after the door was closed, they could still hear him yelling. Sit down, Joseph gestured to Titania, who looked up on the verge of breaking down. Something to drink? Titania gave a nod as she sat down and tried to calm herself down. She accepted the drink from Joseph, and while tasting it, she downed the whole goblet while she chalked from the fiery liquid. Whiskey. Joseph took a sip of his and sighed happily. The humans introduced this drink to me, and I've come to enjoy it after some time. Now, I know that we are enemies, you with the Empire, me with the UN, Joseph said. Your father and people were even killed by my troops. Because of that, Joseph poured out himself another drink. The situation in your home is now very messy. And by messy, I mean there's civil war and political unrest, Joseph explained. Without the army and the leadership of your father, the nobles are looking to enrich themselves and fill the vacuum caused by the death of your father. Your family has too much views and everything without a strong backing of the army. Joseph looked at Titania in the eye. Your enemies will destroy what is left of the Rothschilds. Titania took a deep breath as she knew too well the risks and dangers of involving her family status now. We will appeal to the Emperor. He will not tolerate unrest in his lands. Do you think that the Emperor could come and save you in time? Joseph smiled. By the time his army comes, what will be left? Now, I have an offer here that'll save you and your family from destruction and a lot of future troubles. Joseph dropped the bait. An offer? Titania narrowed her eyes, as if in suspicion. What's the catch? Oh, don't worry about it. As long as you follow our plan, Joseph replied, your family will retain their position as overlords of the South region. What is the plan? Titania asked suspiciously. And what is the cost? Oh, we don't charge an arm and a leg in helping you. Joseph laughed at his own joke. Just allow the UN troops to be stationed in the capital city on the south region, and we will help put down any unrest or enemies that threaten your rule. You mean, you want me to rule as your puppet? Titania's eyes went wide. Impossible! The people will revolt. The emperor will kill us all. I won't say puppet, Joseph said and made a tisking sound. Too harsh of a word. More like a non-aggression treaty between us. A non-aggression treaty? Titania frowned. But you want to station troops inside the capital. Oh, that's just a precaution, and we can help with whatever threats you face, Joseph grinned. After the dust settles down, we will move our troops out. But what is to prevent you from taking a sneak attack on the city, Titania objected. This is like having a sword hanging over my head. Joseph gave a shrug and kept his smile. Well, either that or have your enemies storm the city with their soldiers to see how pitiful household troops get slaughtered. 
We are not saying that we want to have control of the city defenses, Joseph explained after seeing Titania's disbelieved look. Give us the land and manor and we'll establish an embassy there. Hopefully, over time, we might even become allies in the future. But the emperor will not approve of this, Titania urged. It'll be humiliating to him. You stole one of his cities and defeated his southern army and now want to take land for an embassy in the southern region capital. Oh well, you can slowly think about it. Joseph grinned. We have all the time in the world. Titania's eyes twitched at Joseph's words. All the time in the world, are you? <laughs> Joseph laughed. Well, I was hoping that you would agree to our offer. I mean, if you do, I can release you now to return to restore the faith in your people. Titania frowned as she seriously considered his words. If I don't agree with this, well then, you can just enjoy our hospitality for a while longer. Joseph smiled. Besides, if you agreed, I would have to release all the prisoners for you to bring back home. No point for me to keep them around any longer than needed, right? With some troops at your back, your enemies would think twice before they act, yes? Joseph eyed Titania, who was trying to be very hard and uninterested. If I accept your offer, you would release the soldiers back to me? Titania asked in confirmation. In exchange, you would get a landed manor for an embassy and permission for troops to be stationed in the embassy and also a non-aggression treaty between us. Joseph nodded. We will even throw in weapons, armor, and supplies and send you home. But what if the emperor wants to attack you? Titania asked. Oh, I'm sure you can come up with all sorts of excuses to reject the emperor's orders. Joseph smiled wryly. You are a very smart girl. You would know what to do. Besides, you can't afford another expensive battle with us. Your, would your troops have the guts to fight after this round? Titania was very tempted to accept the terms right now. If she returned to the portion of the army still intact, she could at least buy enough time for the Rothschilds to re-establish their strength in the city and stave off the political enemies. Could you give me some time to consider your offer? She asked. Sure, of course, Joseph winked at her. Don't take too long. Tick-tock, Miss Rothschild, tick-tock. End of chapter Chapter 316 Autopsy North Brunt Come on! A figure in mud-stained white jacket with a red patch on his sleeve and chest pocket waved at a group of dirty and tired slaves. Anyone with injuries? Here! A couple hands rose up in the air and the doctor, with his assistance bearing stretchers, came over. They loaded a body of a half-naked slave onto the stretcher while the doctor checked the patient's dirty bandages. Looks like he lost quite a bit of blood. He peeled back the sticky blood-coated bandages of the slave and grimaced at the waft of rot came out. Wounds look badly infected. How did he get this injured? The surrounding slaves gave a shrug. We found him lying amongst a pile of bodies. We think he got hit by one of them screaming death spells. Ah, the doctor nodded. All right, don't worry about your friend here. We'll heal him right back up. With that, the doctor and the assistants carried the wounded away. This bald guy is someone you know, one of the slaves asked curiously. Nope, never seen him before. Orwell's Point, Marine Stronghold Basement, Temporary Morgue. Subject 4C. Dr. Sharon spoke into a tablet as she prepared her instruments for the autopsy of the bronze men colored elf laid before her in the basement of the keep, filled with blocks of ice to keep the bodies cold. Also known as the Terminator by the Marines. The subject is male and looks like being in his middle twenties, bald. Dr. Sharon said at the same time and stretched open the closed eyelids the corpse. Eyes are grey? Magister Thor leaned over and looked at the milky eye pupils in the body and frowned. Strange. 
Cause of death appears to be multiple gunshot wounds, a total 13 shots in the upper torso and another 10 in both the arms, Dr. Sharon recited. Subject's blood appears to be dark red, almost close to the black and viscous. She said next as she took up a scalpel before she attempted and without any success to make a wine scission on the chest of the corpse. Skin, as subject appears to be artificially hardened to the point that blades could barely cut the skin. She returned the scalpel and took a laser scalpel instead and started the wine scission again. This time the laser managed to cut through the tough skin and she peeled the layer back and pinned the skin against his own body with a surgical pin. A sweet and coy scent came from the exposed breastplate and the corpse of Dr. Sharon frowned as she saw the ribcage of the body and its organs appeared to turn black. She now took the bone saw and worked on the edges of the ribcage with Magistrate Thorne's help. They removed the blackened bones and exposed the internal organs. Subject's organs appeared to have entered into a black putrefaction stage. That's a mighty strange, Thorne said as he frowned as he peered into the open chest cavity of the body. I remember learning that from the organs of the corpse to turn black it takes roughly 10 to 20 days. But clearly, this person died just a couple days ago. Magister Thorne's voiced these concerns. What could have made the organs just run away in such a short period of time? Dr. Sharon reached into the chest cavity and started to remove the heart, lungs, liver, stomach and other major organs. This is why we're doing an autopsy to find out how these people can survive dozens of gunshots. Together with Magister Thorne, who took the role of student and assistant, they weighed the organs and they removed as Dr. Sharon was removing the spleen. She touched something hard. Nudging the overhead light to shine directly on the cavity, she dug around in the slimy insides of the body before she felt something cold and hard. She could feel the object too large to be a bullet and too irregular shaped to be a stone or something. Carefully, she held onto it and applied some strength and it appeared to be stuck within the flesh of the spleen. What is it? Magister Thorne asked as he saw the change in expression on Dr. Sharon's face. I think there's something here, Dr. Sharon frowned. Help me adjust the light. She looked at the scalpel under the light and it gently sliced away at the muscles and veins covering the object and she cut away from the fist-sized lump of flesh. Some kind of tumor? Magister Thorne weighed up the lump before he gave a few pokes and was surprised at the hardness. It weighs 427 grams. Seems like something's inside. Dr. Sharon took back the lump of flesh and used a scalpel to carefully slice away the muscles and flesh, exposing an object with some pink veins covering it. She made another incision, and after she peeled away the foam and a finger-sized piece of black crystal was revealed. At this moment, the voice in Dr. Sharon's head hissed in anger. Lume! Dr. Sharon flinched from the sudden psychic blast in her head, and she cursed inwardly as the entity in her head. Is that, uh, the magistrate Thorne's eyes went wide. Is that a dark stone? A dark stone? Dr. Sharon handed the stone over to Magister, who carefully rinsed it clean with water. Is it some kind of manor stone? Yes. Magister Thorne held the stone up against the light. A faint greenish glow could be seen from the insides of the jet black crystal. This is impossible. How could a person have a dark stone inside their bodies? I remember in your basic magic classes, you said that dark and light manor stones are almost impossible to create. Yes. Do you know manor stones are created in areas where magical elements are very strong, or in creatures that condense their magical energy in one place, thus creating a stone? Magister Thorne explained, but in classes for light and dark elements, it is almost impossible to have an area of dense light or dark energies due to the day and night. But if that's the case, Dr. Sharon felt amused as she looked at the excited Thorne trying not to hop around and a green sterile gown, scrub cap, and a face mask. 
How are you sure that it is a dark stone? Oh, my apologies, Magister Thorne replied. I've forgotten you humans have no magical senses. How I know this is because Darkstone is due to the energy it gives off, Magister Thorne said quickly and explaining. At first appearance, I could only guess, but by holding it, I could sense the dark energy from the stone. Hence, I am very sure that this is a dark stone. Is it dangerous? Dr. Sharon asked with a frown. Will it, like, suck out my soul or life away? <laughs> no, my dear Sharon, Dr. Thorne laughed. It is no more dangerous than, say, gunpowder. I see, Dr. Sharon nodded slightly and reassured. But how did it grow from a person's body? I remembered that only creatures born with a natural affinity with the elements could do that only. Yes, this is baffling. Magister Thorne placed the dark stone down on the sterile tray. I too have not heard of this before. Could this be the source of these Terminators' powers? Dr. Sharon questioned. It somehow gave them supernatural powers. Maybe that is the case. Magister Thorne turned and looked at the dozens of body bags hung on the side of the ice room. We just have to open up a few more bodies to be sure. After a few hours, their arms and gowns were covered in gore. Dr. Sharon and Magister Thorne paused to their work and their expressions grim. On the table, next to them laid several pieces of dark stone, glittering under the white light of the lamps in the morgue. This is bad. The Empire somehow has a way to produce these dark stones, Magister Thorne whispered. This is very bad. If they can implant these into the soldiers, they will have an almost invincible army. Joseph followed the backs of his staff as almost every senior officer available had gathered at the morgue of the stronghold. A blast of cold air cloying at sweet smell assailed their nostrils when the heavy doors were opened, exposing dozens and dozens of corpses in black bags hanging from the ceiling. Good, everyone's here. Dr. Sharon clapped her hands and got everyone's attention. We uncovered a discovery that is quite crucial for our future plans. The command staff muttered amongst themselves upon hearing Dr. Sharon's words until she gestured everyone to silence. Now, as you know, the Marines had encountered a new foe. She swept away the white cloth and covered the table beside her, exposing a bronze-colored corpse with the flaps of skin were peeled back, showing the cavity in the chest area. Some of the officers stepped back from the site and covered their mouths. Me and Magister Thorne were attempting to discover what made these soldiers able to withstand gunshots and flames, Dr. Sharon explained. We discovered that their skin, muscles, and bones were enhanced to around 8 to 10 times the average person's. Normal blades will barely be able to penetrate their skin. Dr. Sharon continued her report. This also made them highly resistant to fire and even spells. What kind of sorcery is this? One of the officers asked. How can there be such a spell to empower a person to this extent? That we do not know yet, Magister Thorne replied. But we do know that the Empire has found some sort of magic way to strengthen their soldiers, but at a cost. By turning them into these super soldiers, or what the Marines call the Terminators, he took over explaining, the person most likely loses his life. But that's impossible. Another officer spoke up. They move and fight with weapons and tactics. Unlike zombies or ghouls, are they some kind of animated death? I wouldn't say they are truly dead, Dr. Sharon said. More like brain dead. Brain dead? Joseph asked curiously. What's that? It's a state when a person's mind or brain is dead, Dr. Sharon explained. Your body is still alive, but your brain is just gone. Isn't it like losing your soul? An officer asked. In a way, yes, Dr. Sharon replied. But the control of the body is taken over by the spell. Now, scientifically, when a person is brain dead, Dr. Sharon continued her explanation. Your body will die without any life support. 
but the Empire has found a way to not only enhance the bodies of these brain-dead soldiers, but also implant a kind of battery, which powers them to keep them alive. She raised a finger-length piece of black crystal up and gathered the officers and said, This is a Darkstone, the battery that powers the Terminators. A Darkstone? The officers were shocked as they never really heard of such a man of stone. What kind of power is that? The power of darkness, Magister Thorn replied grimly, and the Empire has found a way to create and harness this power. So you're saying the Empire can create an army terminators with such dark stones? Joseph asked the implications registered. Then he will have an army of unstoppable by arrows and swords. Yes, Captain, Dr. Stone nodded. They can control the whole continent easily without anyone having the strength to oppose them. And we will need a lot of firepower to stop them if they throw a mass at us, Dr. Sharon added. We need to let Haven know about this as soon as possible, so that we can plan out a contingency plan to fight against these Terminators. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.